0: Good morning, ladies. I just want to introduce myself and take a moment to share about something we're doing downstairs this fall. I'm Kim Staples, and I currently teach ninth and tenth grade English. Um, at Hickory Grove Christian, and I'm excited to share with you that we are expanding our early ed center that we have at Harris campus to come back to, I have to retrain myself for Mallard Creek campus this fall, Um, but I want to share with you what that's going to look like. I am currently serving as transitional leader for the program, and I'm also still currently teaching high school, so a lot of long days, but it's been an absolute really neat thing to trace the hand of God over the past couple of months and I could give you testimony all day long about a need has come up and he has filled it immediately. So it's been amazing to be involved in that. but this fall we're going to offer a two day a week program on Mondays and Wednesdays so we don't interfere with the abide. Um, so if you're looking for a part-time job you still have time to do that and to come to abide as well. but uh, on Tuesday on Monday and Wednesday we will offer a two day a week program for babies four months all the way to three-year-olds, okay? And then we'll offer another three-year-old class that'll be four days a week, Monday through Thursday. So you still have your Fridays and your long weekends. And we'll also offer two four-year-old classes four days a week. So um, I have brochures for that. I'm going to leave on the back table back there. I'll also leave some registration forms and um, really need your help just in getting the word out. Um, If you fall within that age range of children, we would love to serve you and your family. And if you don't and you have neighbors who do, please help us promote the program by sharing flyers with some neighbors and things like that. Um, If you wanna take a sneak peek of what our program will look like, it's the pendulum. I've been in education for 31 years and we have seen the pendulum swing from one end to the other and I'm excited to say that it is back to developmentally appropriate activities um, play it's amazing that the push is for natural playgrounds with trees and logs and guys that's what we grew up doing and so uh, they have discovered that what we did is best practice and that's a good feeling to have again so um, I did set up room 112 downstairs it's just a model classroom for what our classrooms will look like we are in need of seven lead teachers and seven assistant teachers so if you feel like that's something you want to do um, just email me we have a mallard creek eec at hgchristian.org. If you haven't taken a look at our school in a long time, I would encourage you, we have a little Hickory Grove Christian area set up in the lobby out there. Uh, Our next tour is coming up in April. Just come to an open house and see what we're about. The cool thing is we now offer a place for you to partner with your family where we can take your child in the cradle and we can get them all the way to a high school diploma. And we, uh, my husband and I, both teach at Hickory Grove Christian, our son, Uh, is a lifer from Hickory Grove and is the first year at Liberty University. I saw somebody had a sweatshirt on here today, Uh, but he's doing very well. So it's just been an absolute blessing to partner with the church and to raise him in that Hickory Grove bubble. And he tells me every time I talk to him how much he took it for granted. So it's really cool to see that. You want to say, I told you so, but you don't. You just smile. (laughs) So anyway, but we offer 17 AP courses in high school. Um, Our class size is reduced to um, 12 in the lower grades. So that's just an amazing experience. So if you haven't taken a look at us in a long time, please do so. But it's a blessing to speak to you today. If I can help you in any way, just help us promote the program because it's going to be great this fall. Thanks, guys.
1: Amen. Amen. Um, and good morning, and thank you, ladies, for the lovely, lovely music. One of my favorite stories is something that I saw on the Food Network. It was the chefography of Guy Fieri. And in it, he tells the story of how he grew up in a charming town in California, and that he didn't have a lot of rules growing up, but that his parents did require that he be home in time for the family dinner. The problem was that his parents were hippies, And so they were only ever eating steamed fish and vegetables and grains like bulgur. And so he and his sister would always complain. And so one day his mother said, Enough! Instead of complaining, you fix dinner. And so he decided he would. He started by asking his classmates about what they had for dinner. And then he decided to make the family a steak dinner. He even asked the butcher how he should prepare it. And then he said, that night, his father cut into that steak and began to eat and said to his son, that might be the best steak I've ever eaten. Guy Fieri said, it still gives me chills thinking about that. He then goes on to explain how he came upon this little food cart that would serve hot pretzels, and he loved them. He spent all of his allowance on them. And so one day, the owner of the cart says to him, you've spent a lot of money on these. Why don't you start your own pretzel business? And Guy said, "Uh, I don't know, maybe because I'm in the fifth grade. (laughs) And the man said to him, if anyone can do it, you can. And so, he and his father put together a little pretzel stand and he started his own pretzel business. Now, his biography is told of uh, his biography told of all the hard work and the determination and all the training that he got, but he remembers the words of his father and the words of that pretzel man. They had an impact. They were not magic. He still had to work, he still had to train but they were powerful. That is a word that is used a lot today when, we comes, when it comes to our words and our speech. We hear a lot about the importance of our words and that our words have power, but what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that your words have power? What does it mean and why do we need to understand it? If you have your Bibles, would you find for me and turn with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, we'll stop there. This morning, as you can see from our passage, we are going to be talking about the tongue. So we're going to start with some basics, and then we're going to do some review. And then we want to work through this passage and hopefully add another layer to our understanding about the tongue. But to start, here is our first point. Number one, in the Bible, the word tongue is often used as a figure of speech to reference the spoken word. Okay, now you could also write the word lips there because that's another body part that's um, used to reference the spoken word. So what we're really talking about is our speech, our words, our conversation. All right, now, I want you to keep your finger here and turn with me to the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis, this will be a review. Take a look at chapter 1, Genesis, verse 3. We're going to read that God spoke. God spoke, and then something supernaturally uh, was created out of nothing. In fact, all through this chapter... We're going to see over and over again that God speaks. By verse 28, you can take a look at that. He is speaking to the first humans. All right, then if you turn over to chapter 2, verse 23, the man is now speaking. All right, now turn one more page and go look for chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent is speaking. Now the enemy of God is speaking. All right, so if you were here for our communication lesson um, when we talked about that in the marriage course, uh, we said that communication was God's idea. He is a communicating God. God speaks, okay, and we have been created to communicate. In fact, we've been made in the image of God, all right, And um, and our ability to communicate with words and speech is seen as major evidence of that. Okay, and so sometimes, because talking is such an ordinary part of our lives, we forget our next point, number two. Words and communicating are a unique and powerful gift from God. Now, if you were to do a Google search about the power of words or taming the tongue, you would quickly be overwhelmed with the number of resources that are out there. There are all kinds of books, there are all kinds of sermons and websites explaining the power of the tongue. Perhaps one of the most famous voices out there addressing this now is Joel Osteen. He has a sermon emphasizing the power of our words and how we have the power of life and death in our words. He says that James says that we can bless our lives or curse our lives. He went on to explain that if we have a poor mouth, then we'll have a poor life. And that we need to say things like, I'm getting younger. I'm getting better looking. I'm going to live a long, productive faith life. Call yourself strong, healthy, beautiful. Those were his ideas of speaking powerful words of life. He then goes on to share a story of a staff member that told him that she says every morning, girl, you are looking good today. (laughs) Or some days you look good, but today you look really good. He went on to say, stop criticizing yourself. Start your day saying, good morning, you good-looking thing. <laughs> now I want you to think about it, ladies. Why, 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 why would I want to start my morning focusing on something so fleeting and vain? His teaching makes no Biblical sense. Can I tell you, this man has over eight and a half million followers on Twitter. Brings me back to James chapter 3. So turn back to James. Find James chapter 3, verse 1 says this Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, okay? Not many of you should become teachers. James starts this section with a warning to the would-be teachers. Not many of you should become teachers. Now, why is that? Because teachers teach. All right, teachers use their tongue, and there is a potential for them to influence. If the teacher gets it wrong... Okay, there is a chance of the multiplication that their students will get it wrong. That staff member of Joel Osteen sounded just like him. The error was multiplied. And James wants us and the readers to understand the seriousness of that. Now, in this particular context, James had the office of teacher in the church in view. Okay, when he's writing, that's the context. But I want you to listen to what Francis Chan had to say about this verse. He says this, Do you understand? Every time you open your mouth to give an opinion to someone, you're teaching. You're influencing them. You'd better be sure you're right. you better be sure you're giving biblical advice. End quote. Now, why is he so passionate about that? because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Notice what he says next in verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. When I was a young mom, our opportunities to use our tongues for communicating and sharing our opinion was more limited. For instance, I could meet with a friend in person and we could talk face-to-face, but we didn't get to do that every day. I could write a letter and put a stamp on it, okay? And, And that's what I would do if I was trying to communicate with someone out of town. Or I could make a phone call on a phone that was attached to my wall. And if you were really lucky, you had one of those long cords that went to the bottom, which meant, ooh, you could talk all over the kitchen with that thing. Now, if, you know, if, if your kids were in another room or, uh, you know, you had something to do in another room, then you had to say goodbye. That ended, this, that ended the conversation. Okay, now what is my point? My point is that we all stumble in many ways. And this generation has more ways to stumble when it comes to your speech than any generation before you. You can speak directly to someone. You can tweet. You can blog. You can text. And unless you have really bad phone service, you can talk to someone virtually any place your body can take you. We have even made it so that we can talk using our watches. you have been given more possibilities and opportunities to speak and to teach and to influence large numbers of people like never before. Now, the word stumble, it means to offend, it means to slip up, and I want you to notice what James says. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now that word perfect, we've seen that before. That is a word that means complete, mature, genuine. Okay, so according to this chapter, what is the test of a genuine, maturing Christian? His tongue. He's going to have mastery over his tongue. My guess is that we all have these ideas of what a strong Christian woman is going to look like. She's in church every Sunday. Maybe she's got a fish sticker on the back of her car. Maybe she only works out to Christian music. But I want you to see what James says. James says, you want to know what a genuine, growing disciple of Jesus Christ looks like? Listen to her talk. Does she have mastery over her tongue? Now, how did he arrive at that. He says, because to bridle the tongue is to bridle the whole body. Jen Wilkin puts it this way, and it's your next point, number three. To control the tongue is the supreme act of self-control. To control the tongue is to control the body. And James, he's the great teacher. He's going to give us some good illustrations to help us understand that. Take a look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. All right, James is gonna use three things here to illustrate what he's talking about and help us understand the tongue, and I have these on your paper. Okay, uh, we have first is the bits in the mouths of horses, a rudder on a ship, and then forest fire set ablaze by a flame. You could also write fire there. All right, now next to these, I want you to write the word powerful because obviously each one of these is stressing the power of our tongues. Okay, and notice it's uh, disproportionate. You have something very small controlling something very large. All right, now next to that I want you to write in big letters the word direction, at least next to the first two. Okay, because the bit in the mouth and the rudder on the ship have to do with the direction or the guidance of where that horse or ship is going to go. Um, Your words direct. And at the risk of oversimplifying, your words are always moving or directing in one or two directions. All right, now, what are those? All right, let's look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire... A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, sustaining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. All right, there's one direction. A world of unrighteousness, fire by hell. All right, now then jump down to verse nine. With it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. All right, do you see the two directions? Okay, your words are either moving in the direction of blessing and exalting God, or they are moving to unrighteousness and the fire by hell. Proverbs tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Two directions, life, death. When I was in youth group, one of my girlfriends had a grandfather who owned the local cable company. And so one summer, he let her borrow his... Cougar Convertible. And one night, she and some girlfriends decided to go to the drive-in in in that car, and they invited me. I had just finished eighth grade. They had just finished tenth. It was a big deal to me to be included. Now, back then, they would show two two movies. We all watched the first movie. That was the feature. That was the one that we came for. And then the second one started, and it was rated R, and the sign comes up that it is this next movie was intended for those that are 17 and older. And so my girlfriend, the 16-year-old driver, she says to us, "We're going home." Meanwhile, the girl sitting next to me in the back says, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! What? Why do we need to go?" Let's just check it out. Let's see what it's like. And then if it's bad, we can take off. What's the big deal? And the driver turns around to her and says, we're leaving. She turns on the car, takes off, and away we go. Now, her words probably spared me from seeing something inappropriate. But more importantly... I was an 8th grader sitting in the back seat of that car watching all of that unfold and I thought it was the most awesome thing I had ever seen. I thought that driver was being so strong and so brave and so righteous. I went home and instead of thinking about the movie, I was thinking I want to be like her. That's how I want to handle temptation. We're leaving. I have no, 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 no doubt that God used her words to help me navigate my teen years. Her words were life-giving. Her words had direction. They were pointing me in the direction of something God-honoring and righteous. Our words are like bits and rudders and they have direction All right now you might be thinking well you know sometimes I say something that isn't necessarily God honoring but then again it isn't exactly the hells of fire either you know it's neutral all right here's the problem with that mentality that the Bible doesn't really provide that as an option Your words are moving in one of two directions. I want you to take a look at verse 6 again and watch for that repeated word. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Did you catch the repetition? I would, I would write that on your paper, fire. The tongue is a fire. Often, when you are listening or reading sermons about the tongue and on this passage, at some point, somebody is going to give you a list of good questions to ask yourself before you speak, and I'd like to go over some of those now. I have a place for you to write them on your paper. Here's the first one. Is it true? Is what you're about to say, is it true? Do you know that it's true? All right, here's the second one. Is it kind? Is what you're about to say, is it true? And is it kind? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that it's really kind. I have some things that I have to say to my child, and I'm not sure that would, it would fall into that category. Well, that brings us to our next one. Number three, is it necessary? Is it needful? Does it really need to be said? Or are you just trying to get your two cents in and blowing hot air? Or is it needful to the situation? Is it going to be edifying to the situation? All right, those are the main three. Now Jerry Bridges will add another. He will say, ask this, number four, is what I'm about to say going to build up or tear down? And we're going to add a fifth one because we're in the book of James. And this is kind of similar. But number five, let's ask, what direction is this headed? All right. Is what I'm about to say going to turn people in the wrong direction? All right. Because we said our words are directing. All right. Now, chances are you are, if you're like me, you're looking at this list and thinking, this list is long. I mean, how can you possibly expect me to run through these questions every time I go to open my mouth and say something? All right, well, here's the thing. James has just called the tongue a fire. All right, um, the very world of iniquity. One writer referred to the tongue as a ticking bomb. Another writer likened it to a chainsaw. And you know, a chainsaw can be very useful, it can accomplish great things, it can be a very necessary piece of equipment, but you don't let the kids play with it. In the same way that you would handle a ticking bomb with great skill and with great care, or the way you would be super cautious if you were cranking up a chainsaw, we are to be the same way with our words. We are to remember our tongues are of fire. They are powerful and they are capable of great destruction if it is not handled correctly. So yes, you should take the time to be quick to hear, slow to speak. And he doesn't say speak slowly, he says be slow to speak. Now why is that? Because you're going to need time to think about what you say. All right. now next to those questions, I would write in very big letters, social media. One of the things I hear from women constantly today is that you have to be on social media because it's the only way that you can maintain your relationships. It's the only way you know about anything or anybody, right? So clearly, social media is about communication. And so, all of the teaching that the Bible has on the tongue or the spoken word is going to apply to the written, which is, or social media. And if you have an audience of any size, when you write or post, this is going to put you into the teacher category. I recently read that the average person on Facebook has 338 friends. That is a potentially a very large audience you post and write to. One preacher said that if James were writing today, he'd probably say, let not many of you become writers. And so you would be wise to run through these questions before you post something. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it going to build up or tear down? Is it going to encourage someone's faith or is it going to trip them up? Is it going to whet their appetite for the things of God? Or is it going to stir up their fleshly desires? What direction is it headed? Are you pointing them to Jesus or are you pointing them to stuff? Now you might be thinking, that's a lot to think about. That's a lot of responsibility. Yes, yes. You're about to crank up a chainsaw. You're about to use a chainsaw in a room full of mothers and children. You're about to walk through a crowd with a ticking bomb. So yes, it is a responsibility. It's a great responsibility. Social media, has given you a platform, perhaps I should say you've inherited it as a platform. It has given you a place and an audience and a means to speak and share and influence and hear me with that comes great responsibility. I wonder, would you teach your child the dangers of a loaded gun then you teach your children how to handle social media. Am I saying you should get off social media altogether? Maybe. Maybe not. I would write in very big letters bridal. Bridal. Yes, some of you probably do need to be talking and writing less, but remember, James didn't use the word muzzle. He uses the word bridle, and perhaps a better word would be mastery. Okay, James is writing about having mastery over our tongues. It's learning to say the right thing in the right way at the right time. And I can tell you from experience, sometimes it's easier just to not say anything and to quit talking. All right, but James knows that talking and communicating is a very necessary part of our life. It's a very necessary part of gospel life. Okay? And so we have to have mastery over our tongues, but that presents a problem. Take a look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. All right, James calls the tongue a restless evil, restless. It does not rest, okay? It is full of deadly poison. Here's our next point, number four. The tongue is humanly untamable. Every imaginable beast or reptile or bird can be tamed, but no man can tame the tongue. You can't tame your own tongue. You can't tame your child's tongue. All right, now what does all this mean? Why mention it now? I mean, he's just finished telling us that the mastery of the tongue is evidence that someone is a genuine and maturing believer. Interesting, James does not provide a lot of imperatives or commands in this passage, which is unusual. You might remember the first week, we said to expect that in about every two verses, you're going to see a command. This book is filled with them, and yet this part does not have a lot of that. He doesn't give us a list of questions to ask first or a list of things to do, all right? So what's the answer? All right, how do you harness the tongue? Keep your fingers in James. Let's go to Matthew. Turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, This, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is saying, Your tongue is condemning you because it is revealing what's down in your heart. The tongue is only the messenger of the heart. It's the tattletale of the heart. In June of 1972, a security guard at a fancy hotel noticed tape on the latches of several doors, which allowed for the doors to close but not latch. He removed the tape, and because this was 1972, he didn't think much of it. But when he returned an hour later and the tape was back on, he called the police. Five burglars were soon discovered and arrested, which would then birth one of the most famous scandals of all time. Do you know? Watergate. <laughs> yeah. We now end all American scandals with the word gate thanks to this one as a result of this one being so famous. The scandal resulted in the indictment of 69 people with 48 being found guilty, many of them top officials for then President Richard Nixon, and Nixon himself would eventually resign as a result of the scandal. At one point in the investigation, which was televised, someone mentioned that Richard Nixon taped the conversations that took place in the Oval Office, and that put a whole new spin on the investigation because everyone wanted to know what's on the tapes. A major court battle began over obtaining the tapes because the tapes would reveal the truth. The tapes would be the tattletale, and it would reveal all that went on in the office, the tapes, would reveal all the scheming and the plotting and the devising that went on in that office. The tapes would reveal all of the paranoia and the selfishness and the wickedness. When the Supreme Court eventually ruled that Nixon had to hand over the tapes, he resigned. He knew his tape-recorded words would condemn him. And it's the same with our tongues. Our tongues are the tapes. Our tongues are the tattletale of what is going on in the heart. Our tongues just expose or reveal all the scheming and the plotting and the devising that's taking place in our hearts. Our tongues just reveal all the paranoia and the selfishness and the wickedness that's taking place in our hearts. Our speech is just the messenger, but it condemns us because it reveals the heart. That's review, this is review, but I want it on our papers. Number five, the tongue is the tattletale of the heart. The tongue will never work independently of the heart. It simply reflects the heart. So when, man sa- so when James says that no man can tame the tongue, he's alluding to something that we already know, and that is no man can tame or fix his own heart. All right? So the help for our heart and therefore our tongue must come from something outside of us. Here's our next point. Number six, our speech provides indisputable evidence of our need For grace. All right. Make no mistake about it. James is not giving us any kind of self-help message here. All right, now I have several verses printed out on your papers, and this is from um, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, verses 20, verse 25 through 27, says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. All right, here's another one. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Okay, now next to these passages, you could write the words new covenant, right? Because that's what this is describing. All right, you could also write the word gospel next to these because this is a description of the work of the gospel in the life of the believer. It's the work of God, the work of the gospel, all right? And you could also write in big letters grace, because that's what this is describing, the work of grace in your life. Now notice what this says, and this is God speaking. God says, I will clean you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. That's grace. He said, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a, heart of, I'll give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. Listen, a, a heart that is tender and sensitive to the things of God a heart that is moldable a heart that is beating for the glory of god he says i will give you a heart that is going to be equipped to house the spirit of god in you and cause you to walk cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules okay now because of all that you can write the word remedy because this is the remedy for the tongue that is continually condemning us, that is a fire that is untamable. The gospel is the remedy. It is the only remedy. Getting a clean heart, a heart that beats for God, that is not stone. It lives and beats for the glory of God. It is a heart that actually wants to obey him. A genuine Christian is given a heart like this. Now, I want us to keep this in mind and look back again at James. So find James chapter 3, verse 8. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, James is saying, listen, nature is not schizophrenic. You don't plant a fig tree and then harvest a basket of olives. You don't go to the ocean and pull up a cup of nice, sweet drinking water. Right, Nature is consistent. And if you are a believer, your speech is going to be consistent with your new nature, with your new heart. Your speech should reflect that your heart is now soft and sensitive to the things of God and to his word. James is simply reminding us that our speech should be the tattletale that we now have hearts of flesh and that God is our God and we are his people. Take a look back at verse 3. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. Ah, the pilot. The ship has a pilot. The bridle has a rider. Who is your pilot? If you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you have a tongue that is a fire, that is a rudder, that is a bridle, but you've now got a pilot for your rudder, you now have a rider for that bridle. Now you're bowing to the pilot. Now you're bowing to the rider. You're conforming to the rider of that bridle. The spirit that God has put within you together with the word of God, which he has written on your heart Together, they work together as your pilot and your rider. I wonder if we had tape recordings of all the conversations that have taken place in your home over the past four years. Would you need to resign? Would your tapes be condemning, like Nixon's, Or would they affirm that you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ? Would they give evidence that Christ is the pilot of your tongue? Would they give evidence that your faith is maturing and progressing? And if not, why? Here's our last point, number seven. The tongue is only tameable by the grace and ongoing grace of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that is so relevant and pierces our hearts. But oh Lord, when you convict, you you always provide grace. You give us grace. You give us hope. I pray that we can go home and just be so mindful that our tongues are afire and just be so careful, Father, to be making you our pilot and bowing to you as the pilot of our tongues. And in the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.